Hey, this is Bob in the Don't Die Podcast, brought to you by Ohana Fest down in Dana Point, and brought to you by Live Nation, bringing you concerts all over the world. It all begins with getting off drugs, people. Let's go out and live life. Get sober, get the right treatment for you, and stop dying. Stop dying, Chuck. That is the thing. Don't die. Don't Don't stop dying. Well, yeah, I've I've been hearing it. I've I've been working on it. So I've been working on the the whole not dying. You know me. I wear my heart on my sleeve. I'm having a late uh, snack dinner trying to catch up. I had a long, long day, but we did a podcast last night and we were all in bad moods (laughs) and it wasn't very funny and it wasn't very good. (laughs) So we decided to do another one tonight to try to be funny. And what I know from funniness is the harder you try to be funny, the less fucking funny you are. We're going to be terrible then tonight. <laughs> it's going to be worse. This, this podcast is going to be so bad. It's going to make last night's one that Mike doesn't want to post look like a fucking miracle compared to what's about to happen. <laughs> Holy shit. I can okay. just tell you around the old forest compound. I said to Chrissy, I have to do a podcast at 7.30. She goes, no, you did it last night. And I said, I know, but that one Uh, sucked. And Mike is saying we need to do another one because we can't post that horrible one from last night. Uh, And and so now all the pressure's on you, Chuck. You're the comedian of the group. Be funny. (laughs) You're the clinician, the comedian. Funny motherfucker. (laughs) You're the pulse of this. Yeah. (laughs) Well, how, how how does the son cut his hair? Oh, my God. You're not going to do one-liners, e- are you? Yeah. Eclipse oh, it. Yeah. Oh, Eclipse it. <laughs> so when we, talked, when we talked about your nuts being black and blue, that was hilarious. <laughs> yeah. You know what? And uh, I can't believe you sent me are- a picture of that. That is so gross. <laughs> <laughs> because i have this thing i have this thing like well you're younger than me it doesn't work but harold owens is my mentor he's my hero he was my counselor as a when i was a junkie then he taught me a lot of what i know of being a counselor and he gave me the greatest advice i ever had in my life which was here's for you millennial crowd it was not a pleasant conversation i think it began with bob you don't know shit <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Sounds like he knew Gloria. Yeah. He was, yeah, he was I think Gloria was his counselor. Oh, so anyway, there you go. <laughs> so so Harold like just he was one that was funny all the time and funny is a part of being a chemical dependency counselor and he told me like don't don't be all uptight and heavy about everything all the time. He, and Buddy Arnold had told me that. And so I feel like it was my thing to tell the next generation, like, don't be all uptight and heavy all the time and talking about trauma and all this. Try to be funny. What I realize about millennials is they just don't have a sense of humor. Because <laughs> <They don't. laughs> I was well, when I sh- when I show them a picture of my nuts, they smile. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> and I I felt like a millennial when I saw the picture. I was like, I'm going to sue him. This is trauma. He's traumatizing my eyes. I can never unsee. I can never unsee this. No kidding, man. That is some terrible shit. Amy, Amy, Amy got uptight, and she was like, "Would you stop showing it to everybody?" And I go, "I go, but it's not like my face is down there." 
You were showing it because you were on the Oxycontin. That's why you were showing it. <laughs> I, I, I was on the uh, I was on the Percocet, the seven point five Percocet, very light dose so, for what I was. Even feeling, though man. me and Harold Owens are not really that far apart in age, we're like five years apart, I think. He was always this this like idol to me, right? And things started going wrong with him about twenty years ago. He had some kidney problem, and then you know, and he was sick for a while. And I started thinking that's going to happen to me. And then that started happening to me. I had liver problems and I was in and out of the doctors and all this kind of stuff. And so then there's been this thing ongoing that I check in with Harold just to see what's going to happen to me someday. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> what's what's and, next? And, what do I have to look Good and to? bad. And the exciting thing for him the last two or three years is he started a school in Rwanda. And I'm like, fuck that. Oh, I'm going to be starting a school in Rwanda or something like that or in Nicaragua or something. Because everything that Harold does about five years later, I do. Or everything that Harold has happened to him happens to me about five years later. So when I see those balls all swollen up with the big black and blue marks <laughs> and whatever, I immediately oh. think that's going to happen to me. My balls oh. are going to look like that. And the incision wasn't even scabbed up. It was all, oh, God, it was oh, horrible. God, how could you, you must have been so high to send that to people. <laughs> no, I, I still do. I, I did with still noodles does. just like, a, not even like a week oh, ago. I, before, I, I showed, I, I got one from the, from a good side angle where you can see it going all the way. And the, just the fact that I couldn't get my hand around my right ball was just, it's crazy. But the, uh, then I sent one and he goes, wow, that second one looks like a, a girl. Part. Another, well, <laughs> God, come on. A friend of mine, a friend of mine had something go wrong. It's, it's a very close friend of Mike Martz. I don't want to blow anyone's anonymity, but he had a very, some sort of problem down there. I was never quite sure what it was, but he was very sick for a month or so. And we all heard about it. And then we heard he's getting better and whatever. And I'm playing a show with him at the Henry Fonda theater. And we're sitting down next to each other. And I just said, so everything's cool now. And he goes, yeah, my balls are still hard as rocks. And he said, do you want to feel He swear to God, swear to God. He said, do you want to feel them? And I was like, no, I'm good. I'm good. Yes. He was feeling himself like they're hard he, as rocks. Yeah. And I was like, oh my yeah. God, I don't need to know that someday my balls are going to be hard as rocks. People with oh, medical problems man. need to stop sharing it with other people. Yeah, but it's just, it's, it's just yeah, men. But, men. Men are okay sharing that with another man. You know, they're not sharing it with another I, woman. Then I'm too effeminate. I don't need to know how hard... <laughs> How hard a person's balls are after they have some something happen to them. And I don't even I don't even want to know when I when it happens to me, I want to be surprised. I don't want to go. Oh, Chuck had this like five years ago. I totally know you're going to cut a big incision in me and my balls are going to be hanging out of it. It's going to be all black and blue and green and purple and pus is going to come out. Wow. How great. Yeah. I can't. I can't wait. Uh, no, I never want to do that again. <laughs> I, I'm not. But but we just don't. just the, just the fact that it's over that I can put on jeans comfortably, and that I, I that I haven't even taken a Tylenol in a week. You know that it's just nice to not be in pain and to feel good physically is such yeah. a gift, and I appreciate it more now than I have in a long right. time. You know, that's kind of what <laughs> bad times show us, right? So I'm trying to look for the, the silver you know, lining, so to speak. I don't I don't know what it's what it's like at your work, but things are 
crazy right now. I was now. at this, I was we've at had, another rehab today, kind of like uh, talking to this guy. There were, get this, this is like a floor of a building. There were 63 drug addicts in it. It's just like, I don't think the huh. building was designed to have 63 drug addicts in it. There's just an energy right. that is so fucking intense and people banging in and out of the door and it's got a buzzer. And I just felt, I went there to like meet with this guy and, you know, get to know him and he's a super nice guy. And, and, uh, and like, after like an hour, I was just like, I got to go home. This is so intense. Rehab centers are so intense. For all of COVID, I've very rarely been at the rehab, you know, because I'm older and I stopped doing groups and right. whatever. Here's what happened. In the first year, in 2020, nobody knew what was going to happen, right? I was, I was right. scared, I got to admit. And I was cautious. And, and, but as, as I heard people and knew people that were like me that got it and they didn't die, I was like, oh, God. And then you just get more relaxed. But I really got used to not running groups and not working. <laughs> Yeah. Really? see polar opposite really i had to do so many groups i had to do so many well, because you're uh, young old people like uh, well, no dude, i come was 59 on. Really? when covid hit and i have end-stage liver disease like i wasn't going to be going to right. run no groups you know what i mean like yeah no fuck that yeah it, 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 and just the fact that any places survived it because insurance was so un wielding with it like if someone was sick with covid and we've got them in our rtc and they can't program and they're not feeling well enough to even do it by doxy you know you don't get paid for well, those we didn't, i shared on here we didn't have it for like a year and a half and then when we started i think it was delta and now definitely omni more and more clients are getting it and it's not only they don't get sick. Like we've had nobody that was really sick. We've had some staff members that were sick. Nobody at, at my place ever was hospitalized. But um, but the problem is, is you, you only have so many beds because the state only allows so many beds. And when you have two beds in one room and somebody gets COVID, then the other bed is dead too. And they just have to stay in there for 10 days. <laughs> and we, yep, had, they got we had that going all yep. over Malibu and West LA. It's like, how many beds are we, are there not access to care? And it was another exposure of how, you know, I don't want to say dumb, but how unfair the whole state licensure situation of California is. It's, it's just like, you, you can't have, you know, I understand not having maybe 63 drug addicts on a floor of a building, but to only have <laughs> to only have six drug addicts in like a, a seven bedroom house in Huntington Beach, it just doesn't make sense. You could help 10, you could help 10 people there easily. Can two people that are exposed to COVID be in the same room? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, but yeah, you, well, no, but when if, they're, when they are exposed, when they test negative and they have different rooms, you can't combine them. That's no. what I was told. It and, and the, the other thing is, is that a lot of times the people that shared rooms had to isolate uh, for five, six, seven days and then retest. And if they were still negative, they still had to isolate. If they were, if they were negative, they shared were rooms positive. with people that were positive. If, were, if wait, I shared no, a room no, with I Mike and Mike was I think positive, you misspoke. So I bet so, I did. But if Mike is positive and we're roommates, right. we both got isolated. Even if you're negative, I've got. Even if I'm negative, oh, there, yeah, because it might it might not have shown up yet. So you got to wait this like week, and you get tested again, 
And a lot of our people that shared rooms, the roommates didn't get it. Well, it was so confusing. And to try to get state guidelines for it, like nobody really knew. Like the, the main thing was how long can this last where you have to pay somebody in full and they don't have to work? Because, you know what I mean? Because we had repeated client, uh, staff members get repeated COVID things and the COVID relief pay went away. So the, the business had to pay. And there was at some point, I think mm. we had like three staff members that just didn't have to work with, were getting paid in full. And nobody could tell me like the, the science behind that. And, and then, you know, I don't want to talk out of turn, but then I heard the person's like going out to the movies and like, they can't work, but they can go to the movies <laughs> and, and apparently, yeah. and apparently they totally can't afford it. They weren't breaking any law or doing anything wrong. It was just like, what? Uh, no you know, rehab's got yeah, hit there, so there, hard. There's a lot of, well, and there's, there's Cal OSHA and then there's state guidelines and they're different. And so there's, there's all sorts of, there was all sorts of misinformation and poor HR people were working their asses off trying to keep up with things and keep people yeah, employed. Were, and then people not, go, oh, my yeah. roommate got it. So I can't come in for the next 72 hours until I can get a negative test because I was exposed and I don't want to risk the clients. And it's just like, sometimes it was, you know, virtuous. And sometimes it was just like what you're saying. And I get it. I but, was but what I'm admitting, but I'm stuff. admitting like it affected me too. Like, so I've been working full time, like the last, I don't know, month and I'm exhausted. Like, I don't know how I did this before. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is, like I was talking to Mike, I, like, <laughs> I, I left the house at 8am and I'm just driving back at three or two. And it's going to take me two hours to get home. Like how, and I, it makes me think like, how did I do this for 25 years? Cause I don't think I could make it through to this week. Like how did that, <laughs> like COVID made me, no COVID shit. made me and many other Americans very lazy. Mm. I, I believe right. I'll speak for myself. Well, you, when you're running like that, you don't have the time to slow down. It's when I think about when my kids were younger, when I first got custody of them when they were like 10 and four and I'm driving from Anaheim to drop them off in Fountain Valley to go back to work in Anaheim where I lived and worked and then coming back to pick them up and go into a meeting on the way home. And that's just like, I can't believe I ever did that because I can barely wake up, get bugged to school, make it seven miles to my work. Right. Now. You know, so we're all going to have to shake this because it looks like it's over. I mean, you know, you know, and on get, every and there, yeah. everything I see, um, it's it just like it looks like cooler heads are prevailing. Like CNN just this morning released a, a medical study that was actually done last year. This will show you something about media that children don't shed the virus. Even if they're infected, even if they're sick, they don't shed the virus nowhere near as badly or as, as, as much as adults do. Hmm. So here's another reason why the schools should have never closed. Right, and then you told like, me. And then you told true. me a statistic. You told me a statistic. Oh yeah, too, no Bob, one was, worldwide. Nobody was, Nobody with that's taken the booster shot in the in the according to the World Health Organization has died of this omni. Not one person who's gotten the the hmm. the booster shot has died of omni variant uh, COVID. 
how come they don't how come they don't broadcast that that's uh, that's available information on the world health organization website then 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 why are the truckers going to washington dc Oh, that's stupid. well. They're not vaccinated, I think, right? You know what they do in Canada? They just impound the truck. They impound well, yeah. them. They say hey, you can't do way. that. Like I'm not. I don't. You know, I've never really been a huge fan of Canada, except for Leonard Cohen. But uh, and but it's a good Young. idea. But well, he declared martial law for what? Like a bunch of truckers are blocking a road? Just getting <laughs> yeah. it's just a little bit. It's yeah. a little bit much to trampling people with horses was a little loony. <laughs> no, like, give it. How about you? There's trucks everywhere. <laughs> Shut it down. I got a better way of uh, than declaring martial law, and then Trudeau gets challenged that he's a fascist by all the right wingers. There are these things called tow trucks. They're called tow trucks. Yeah. Tow trucks. What do they do, Bob? You put a ticket on the window. Then yeah. the next day you come back, uh -huh. you write another ticket. And then the third day you come back and ride the third ticket. And then you bring this tow truck in and they lift the front end of the truck up and they bring it away. Huh? Yeah, yeah. It's called a tow truck. Huh. It's called Not martial law. It's Not martial law. It's called. <laughs> Do a we tow have truck. any? Apparently in Canada. Does they America don't have some? Have Maybe we can loan uh. tow trucks. We can loan tow trucks to Canada. We'll do yeah. a, 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 you know, a NAFTA truck loaning yeah but they they gave us back turner overdrive and crash test dummies yeah. so oh, don't, don't get it don't, don't go so far <laughs> i you know leonard cohen and neil young i just mentioned leonard cohen and neil young and you in the same breath mentioned <laughs> track or whatever they're called crash, crash test dummies, test dummies? <laughs> <laughs> yeah there was that mm, oh, song that they God, got sued man. for by campbell's soup for using too many m's <laughs> It was too much like, mmm, soup is good food. <laughs> <laughs> I, I missed, so what shitty. year was that? Because there's a lot of music that I fortunately missed. <laughs> oh, that guy had a weird low voice. <laughs> well, so did the Mount, Modest Mouse guy too, right? They had a song like that. That, that float, yeah, on float song on. was pretty, so, pretty, pretty So fun. let me tell you this. This morning I wake up, I'm, I'm slowly converting to thinking that Kanye West might be the Messiah. This oh, morning, no. this morning, because he's hated by so many people, and that's how it was going to be. Like, like if the current Jesus would be hated by so many. If Jesus ever comes back, they're going to say, "Fuck you, you asshole!" You know, he's, uh, he's <laughs> turn the other cheek. Fuck you. So no, Kanye released a new album last night, and I listened to the whole thing. The guy does this thing like I, you know, a lot of hip hop I don't get like Gucci and all. I hear the words once in a while and you know, I don't know what they're saying, but he had a chorus of a song that that confronted the audience and he just kept repeating. Do I look happy to you? Do I look happy to you? Do I look happy? Do I look happy to you? And he said it over and over again with such scary conviction. I started to see he is the id of America. And, and I, I talk about this on the podcast a lot. Everybody is so fucking angry and miserable. And I'm still trying to find mm. out why. And You would win a, a Nobel Prize. I, why is everybody so miserable? <laughs> now, there's differences between, like, I'm, I get outraged at how stupid people are. I, you know, I have a short tolerance for ignorance. Um, but, and I get sad. And I obviously have talked about I have depression. But I, I never, I never would consider myself miserable. Yeah. I'm angry. I'm sad. Mm. I'm depressed. I'm anxious. I'm 
I'm joyous, I'm happy, I'm excited, I'm, I'm anticipating something, all the spectrum of emotions I have. But this misery is something different. It's not an emotion. It's a state of mind. It's a, yeah. it's a belief system. And, and, and he's confronting it straight on. He's talking about my mom, the most important person in my life died, but I'm a billionaire. My wife left me. I can't see my children on their birthday. Why does everybody hate me? All these things he's saying. And then he says, you know, because I know he's the talk of the town. He's the talk of Twitter constantly. Do you know that Kanye West Twittered higher on Super Bowl Sunday than Super Bowl did? More people Twittered about Kanye what? than Super Bowl. <laughs> I mean, how big is the guy? He's bigger than the Super Bowl? So. Wow. And he's and he's big. saying to young people who are envious of him or haters who are hating him and or you know all the uh, the whole world that watches him, I'm I'm unhappy, mm. right? You're unhappy. Mm. We're all unhappy. What the fuck is wrong with us? It's just so powerful. He just and he says it. He says it so many different ways. He says, um, "Do I look happy to you vulnerably?" He says it angrily. He says it with authority. He says it with indignation. He's just, he's an amazing artist. As much as I don't like the Kardashians and the whole, I don't, I'm not a big fan of celebrating wealth and phoniness and everything. That guy has something very special. Hmm. And I just hope, you know, because, because well, people yeah. like that usually don't do well in life. <laughs> like, uh -huh. Well, well we, we've talked about that before, how close genius is to mental illness and how the crossover can go both ways. Sometimes people never make it back from the, the insanity, but that um, mental illness and genius are very close right. together. He's confronting and you like, why, he, why are you unhappy? Like, yeah, why, he, why he also are, says, yeah, yeah, no, I believe that it might be, there might be incredibly insightful. I'm saying that maybe... Maybe his, because he does have a new show on Netflix too that just started called Genius. Yeah, where I haven't watched it, but it's spelled it's spelled huh. funny, and and uh, and I don't know. Uh, I was just like, my, and my first thought was, why would I want to know anything more about this guy? I already know every time he sneezes. I already know that no matter what he says, half the country is going to be pissed off. It, it is. I it mean, is that's crazy pretty, how that's, much focus is on him. It, 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 right. It's it's fascinating, you know. And I I really started to see it. I've been on a Kanye kick the last month or so. I think it's like he is the Beatles, because there is no rock and roll that's relevant, and hip hop just kind of comes and goes. Like you know, you never know who's the popular hip hop. It's the baby. It's little baby. It's the little it's little, little this, baby. Little that. Little baby X and this and little peep. And it, it just seems to ebb and flow and come and go. And I, and, and it, it really, nothing really attaches to me, but he is something special. He and Kendrick Lamar, I think are the two kind of things. And there's nothing that compares to them. They are the pinnacle right, I mean, of it, the art form of recorded music in the world. Right. Where did, where did Sean Combs go? Where did Jay-Z go? Who knows? You know, they're doing other stuff. Where did um, what Snoop been doing that's well, relevant? I don't know. The, he did the Super Bowl. That's about it. 
old songs. Yeah. I never, I never felt like, I never felt like any of that stuff was vulnerable. He is, Kanye is vulnerable. I mean, he, you know, here's the thing. If the next Twitter feed was that he killed himself, I I would be like, oh, that makes sense. Or the next thing was, or the next thing was that he's going to run for president again. I would be like, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Like he's, such a torture. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just like it's that way. It, it huh? just must be fascinating to be inside his mind and inside how they're connected to his emotions. And I don't know that he's just a very. I don't think they they make many people like him. And I'm yeah. in awe of it, and I'm fascinated by it, and I'm also repulsed by it. It's yeah. so crazy how need, he, he is that. that. You know what, that lightning rod of what people think, like what you said, Chuck. Half the people hate him. Half the people love him and think he's a genius. Right? Right. And he, he fits with the kind of person, like at the beginning of your movie, when you talk about the kind of people you're yeah. attracted to. Oh, he's that. He's, he's, he's one of those one people. Of those people. He's one, he is absolutely one of those people because not everybody loved Lenny Bruce oh, no. either, you know? I mean, there were a whole lot of people that were like, what an idiot. What a piece. Of, you know, why would he say that? Why does he need to do this? You know, and everybody that's great, there's always a whole lot of detractors. And you um, know that, that people rewrite history, and I'm old enough to have lived through it. There was a huge negative thing from the African-American community about Richard Pryor and the language that he used, mm-hmm. right? People forget about it now because everybody's cool with that word and whatever. Richard Pryor took that word and put it right in your fucking face. Mm-hmm. No one else had ever done that. Right. And, you know, the black community was not that crazy about Richard Pryor. It was, con- <laughs> it was I mean, they loved him, but they also felt like he needs to tone that down. And he's just like, he had two albums back to back that were called the N word. Yeah. Right, mm-hmm. like yeah. how in 1973, Chuck, like how radical is that? And by the way, how did Warner Brothers Records put those records out? I know, crazy. <laughs> and they, <laughs> and that wouldn't that be about the same time as Blazing Saddles yeah, when that was 70s. still being used? Oh, is yeah, that a that. reference to him setting himself on fire, Chuck? Is that a reference? <laughs> no, no. this is way before. But he I mean, wrote Blazing Saddles. <laughs> Yeah, right. I know. He wrote it. Yeah. So, but then he couldn't play in it or something. I forget what the deal is. So, so anyways, we got this crazy society that uh, I think it could break either way. I, I'm pretty sure there's going to be a Reagan revolution in November. Right. And what will that, what, what will the reaction back to that be? Right. It's an exciting time in mm. America. It's an exciting time to be alive. It's also right. irritating as fuck. Should we try this junkie news thing that I wanted to, to do? Well, junkie it, news? We'll have the ticket, 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 typewriter uh-huh. junkie news. Well, well, let's just put it this way. If it's all a right, smash, let me, let me, Mike, let me, right, let junkie news. Junk, Mike Mart's junkie news, okay? So this is in Virginia. Ladies and gentlemen, this is in Virginia, right? Kilimanarca, Virginia. And this man refuses to unclench buttocks in order to hide cocaine <laughs> <laughs> so the man has pleaded guilty uh, not guilty to refusing to comply with drug search uh, after allegedly repeatedly clenching his buttocks in an attempt to conceal an to item. hold to hold the to hold it <laughs> how do you do that I, I, can you do that that would get on can, like, can you prevent somebody from doing that or i mean you got to have buttholes of steel or something 
No, well, I usually I, I wasn't a butthole guy. I was a mouth guy. <laughs> oh, you just put it not from your, yeah, wow. not from your so, mouth to your mouth. So one time, one time, Martin and I got arrested right after we copped. Like we were driving home from the spot, and <laughs> and we I had like three of those triangles of crack, like thirty bucks worth of crack, and I had one balloon, twenty dollar balloon, and yeah. I just. You know, since they come from the mouth of the person you buy them from, as we're getting pulled over, <laughs> I'm in the passenger seat. I just put them in my mouth. Like I'm going to yeah. wait and see how this goes before and I get rid of this stuff. Exactly, and then you can swallow <laughs> so, them at the last minute. So yeah, if I if they say step out of the car or something, yeah. you know. So Martine uh, says the horrible thing you don't want to hear. I don't have a driver's license. This is not <laughs> going to go well. <laughs> You're going to be following some dope. And why, why do I get, why does the person <laughs> in my position get so angry at that person that they fucked up? Like we're in this together. <laughs> yeah. You're both. Dude. <laughs> and then dude. I've been in this. You idiot. Been, yeah. Like what the fuck, dude? What? <laughs> I, officer, I could have sworn he told he me he had his I asked him before we left. So then, so they eventually, he's like, I think I have arrest too, and, uh, or warrants too. And I'm like, oh God. And he goes, do you have a license? If you do, they'll let you go. I go, I have warrants. And, I, and he goes, oh my God. And so then we're sitting there. So then of course they ask him to step out of the car. They're watching in the rear view mirror. I adjust it. They're arresting him. They come to my side. I still got the rocks and the balloons in my mouth. I think they're going to let me just walk away. They say, could we, could I see your ID please? And I said, you know what? I don't have it's back of the house. I, we, I, we were just going to the market. I don't, I don't know. Um, can I just walk home? And they said, you need to step out of the car, please. And they started searching me. So I, and these are Malibu cops. So I'm not thinking they're going for the mouth right away. If this was in MacArthur Park, they're going to ask me, open my mouth and whatever. <laughs> they're going to grab your but, throat so you don't but swallow. But at this moment, I realize <laughs> I might get out of this. They might let me go. But I know I have warrants out for my arrest, but I don't have an ID, so they can't find out who I am. So, but I'm a little nervous with the cocaine and the heroin in my mouth. So I decide like, might as well get high from the coke. So I chomp on the triangles and swallow. Them. Oh, that's yeah. a little bit of cocaine, a little bit of baking soda. I'm going to have a nice time. I, I've done this before. So, and it starts to hit me. And then they say, you know, your name is Bob Forrest. And, and I, cause Mar it's obviously my time told me what my name was. And I was like, yeah, uh, <laughs> no, I'm Keith Morris. <laughs> Keith Morris. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds no, similar. Safari Sands. I got arrested giving a fake name and somebody as, as they're holding me against the car, checking John Huck, the bass player of Thornius monsters <laughs> name that I know is not going to have any warrants out. Somebody walks by and goes, Hey Bob, what are you, what's going on? And the cop goes, what? <laughs> I'm like, what did you just, are you fucking stupid? <laughs> so then I was lying to an officer and false identity and all that. So, so I swallow the Coke. I know it's going to hit me. It's going to feel pretty good. Might feel a little too good. Might get a little tweaked out, but I just want, I think I might get out of this. And then of course I didn't. And then they arrested me, but I still got the balloon in my mouth, get to lost Hills station. Um, I, 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 they put me in a cell separate from our time. And, uh, 
I mean, it's in there by myself and I look around and I don't see any cameras in the room. It's like, just like a, it's like a closet where they put people. And so I took the balloon out and I just jammed it up in where I had just lost a molar too. Oh, <laughs> <God. laughs> nice. Just pushed that stuff up into my yeah. bloody stump of a tube. Oh, <laughs> and I got so wasted. I don't know how long I was there, but the cocaine crack hit me, my tummy and the heroin hit my gums. And I just, that was one of the greatest nights I ever spent in jail. Wow. I was just feeling so good. <laughs> I, I, like, I was kind of like making love to myself. And I was just like, this is great. And, you know, <laughs> oh and, then, and then, of course, in the morning, they just let us go, which is. Oh, man. Well, here's another, another one. Here's another uh, one. What is that? Okay. So Hugh Hefner's ex is writing a book and she says her ex, uh, uh, her dog became a cocaine addict while living in the pl Playboy Mansion. She said there was drugs everywhere. Uh, the the pet poodle became addicted, and uh, the dog could smell it from across the room. And uh, I don't believe the, it. You don't believe That's that? That's a thumbs that, down. I don't believe that. Don't She's just it. trying to get clickbait. That's a clickbait thing. If ever I saw it, isn't it, Chuck? I don't know. They look pretty well, smiley yeah, and happy. I, and, you know, she said. <laughs> I don't know. I guess you'd have to test the dog. I'd like to get a UA. Oh, that's at the time. She's trying to sell a book. Yeah, ticket, ticket, ticket. Here's here's another one. Man suffers penile necrosis after injecting. I believe this. I believe after this. injecting I, I can't talk about this. into his penis. <laughs> so apparently he uh, he uh, yeah missed? he did it into the um, into ah. the vein you're not supposed to. What's it called? Ah! Yeah, it's uh, anyways. Yeah, so his he had ulcers all along the shaft and smell a foul smelling discharge, and they eventually had to. Uh, <laughs> they eventually had to, uh, you know, uh, take take his penis out. Let's go way way back. Remember Scott Morrow's apartment on uh, Beecher Canyon on the second floor there? Yeah. So he was having a great party with all the cool people, Chuck, and I was. You know, I don't want to say there was a band member in my band who was one of the cool people and everyone liked him. And then I was kind of known as, you know, a problem. So often, Chuck, I wouldn't be invited to the cool parties. Do you know this? Okay. For yeah. fear, I guess no. for concern that I might drink too much. I don't know really why it was. But, the, the, you know, a particular person in our band was always in with the cool kids, always a part of the cools. And so... I hear there's this party over at Scott Morrow's house. So I go there and I see all the cool people. And I'm like, I know that I wasn't invited. I know that I could see a couple of people in the party. are like, oh my God, Bob Forrest is here. Yikes. Oh God. <laughs> Can somebody get him to leave here? Throw, throw a, a, a quarter gram of Coke out the front door and make him fetch it. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> no, I had a bad reputation, Chuck. People didn't like having were me you, around. Were, you were, you were sloppy. Yeah. Like 19, 1987 or 88. So I, I see everybody that is like in the Thelonious Monster world and the L seven world, which Mike was part of that. Yeah. And all the people are there and all the cool kids are there and it's all fun and whatever. And I realized like the main people aren't here in the party. So I go to the kitchen. There's, you know, the people that I expect to see there are not there. I go because I'm looking for where the drugs are, Chuck. Let's face it. Right, I'm looking right, right. for, I'm looking looking for, for four, a, or, five, four door. or five key, key people. And then I see the bedroom door is shut and I go to knock on it and it's locked. And then some girl comes and says, oh, you can't go in there, Bob. And I said, oh, really? Why is that? 
And they, she said, you know, because the guy in my band's in there and, you know, we don't want any trouble, right? Because, you know, the guy in my band and I used to butt heads a little bit. Because Bob. So, so I, you know, when somebody tells me I can't do something, Chuck, this kind of gets my dander up. Sure. So I wait hmm. for the door to open, like somebody come out. It's like, it, it took like 10 minutes. And I'm talking to somebody in the hall, but I'm watching that door. As soon as that door opens, I'm putting my foot in it. I'm going in because I know that's where the drugs is. So somehow I burst in, the door opens, I burst in, put my foot in, open the door. I, and there's a big king size bed that comes like three feet away from where you enter the door. And I'm right there and I kind of rushed in and I'm kind of stumbling towards the bed. And on the bed is a male person being given a morphine and uh, a suppository by a girl. <coughs> and I'm like literally nice. like, 18 inches away from the butt like butt up in the air <laughs> butt up in the air like doggy the girl was standing on the end of the bed pushing up, you can see right exactly what i'm coming finger into in? yeah you gotta push you ever had one of those <laughs> well i just wanted to get the no. visual on this one <laughs> no i'm not There's gonna so say many. whether i've done that or not is there a picture of the is there a picture of the zombie penis <laughs> with that article i have i have put cocaine up there yes when it got wet it oh it my god mike marge cocaine enema no uh you know if, if it gets moist it turns into balls and you can't you can't snort it or you i mean you know we didn't have any rigs and so we just rolled it up into these balls and put it in a Put it up our ass, and it works great. <laughs> oh <man. my> God. <laughs> so, okay. From what I'm telling you, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen at home, if you're following along, some of you drug counselors that that uh, are following along, yes, this is a true story. The man injected into his penis. He missed the vein, or he went in the wrong vein. His penis yeah, got. What is he, the name of it? The dorsal penal vein. Yeah, is the, the big penal one that runs through your the, penis. That's the one you don't. So, you don't use that. so if you're playing, wait. If you're playing at home, rotten dick and butt drugs, you can go ahead and check those yeah, boxes. Those are here's <laughs> the topper of the story. He was discharged from the hospital and they offered him drug rehabilitation and he said no. <laughs> <laughs> he refused. What? It, it, he made one mistake. <laughs> he made one mistake. How was that? That reminds me of my worst drug day. So I, I got out of rehab like on a Thursday and I was trying to find where my main connection was. I finally found that and I got a bunch of heroin and I was, and I, um, and I, uh, OD'd and then I was brought to by Narcan and brought to Cedar Sinai. A bunch of people showed up, said, you need to go to rehab. I said, I just got out of rehab three days ago. This is a simple mistake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just will you please, you AA people, will you fucking get a grip? I just got out of rehab. I'm not going back to rehab. <laughs> and they're all disgusted and yeah. angry. And my sponsor was there and he's like, I'm not going to your funeral. I said, What the fuck is the point of saying that? Like, do I, do people care mm -hmm. who goes to their funeral? Like, uh, uh, that's I, a very popular NA term, by the way. So, yeah. So I'm waiting, I get discharged. That's when Gloria Scott said, what kind of father are you? And how that made me cry. And I thought that was mean. So then um, everyone's left and I'm just at Cedars. I don't have a car. I'm just there, right? So what do I do? I still got drugs on me. They didn't search me. I go in the bathroom of uh, 
Teeter's emergency room and do some more heroin, just snorted some, go out again, OD'd in the emergency room bathroom after being, Jeez. after leaving against medical advice, signing out and not going to rehab. They had a mm -hmm. social worker come and talk to me. So then if you refuse medical detention at a hospital, you can't be readmitted there. So oh, then yeah. they, they resuscitate oh. me in the lobby of the Cedar sinai emergency room and they wait for an ambulance to take me to a mental hospital in Brentwood, right? Nice. And, and, and there I was cooperative because I thought, yeah, two times in one day is kind of maybe I need to be somewhere, at least just for overnight. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get out in the morning. Everything will be fine. <laughs> just, I, I'm just sure, need to make sure I don't I'm die sure it. tomorrow. I'm it's a sure new day. I'll be thinking much more clearly tomorrow. Yeah. And uh, and I remember I was in there. They kept me on uh, from a three day, seventy two hour hold over to ten days. And I was still right. cool with that. I was like, ah, I'm, you know, I'm good. I'm, you know, I'm getting and uh, you know, I'm getting my life together. I'm, you know, I was a little optimistic or whatever. When you're locked against your will, it's easier to detox. Have you ever noticed that? Yeah. It really is yeah. easier. Jail, Jail works is good. way yeah. because, and I got a theory about this. Whenever I was on tour and I was dope sick, I just exaggerated the symptoms and tried to justify running away and going and getting heroin, no matter what it took, right? <laughs> but when you're in jail and you know you can't run anywhere and you can't go anywhere, you're in a lockdown psych unit and you know you can't go anywhere, you just look for signs that you might be feeling better. Right. Like, uh, <laughs> like you don't poop four times in an hour that it's only two times in an hour or something like that. Oh you're looking God. for progress. <laughs> you're looking for, you're looking for signs of that. It's you, you, you want, want you're, working, you're working a program progress, not perfection. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're looking for like, you know, positive signs. Whereas when you're out in the free world, like I was, I was just looking for negative signs to exaggerate, to justify. So, so I get out and they move me from the psych ward to the chemical dependency ward. And I'll never forget this. They had this big rock star come and talk to me. I, I think it was Buddy Arnold's idea. Buddy Arnold ran this chemical dependency unit. And so they had this musician who was like popular in the 60s come and talk to me to relate to me or something. And I had had a good experience in the lockdown unit. I was good. I was cool. I like Buddy Arnold. I'm in his rehab. Okay, I'm cool. This guy in a matter of like 45 minutes with his arrogance and his know-it-allism and his shoving AA down your throat and his sarcasm and his just everything that's wrong with trying to help people when you're helping them with your own narcissism and arrogance. I think we talked about this a lot on the podcast. You know what I'm talking? <laughs> the one that got yeah, shut yeah. down. Yeah. yeah, there was some of that. <laughs> so this guy... In 45 minutes of really, he, I know in his heart, he was trying to help me, but he was so disconnected from who I was and who he was. And like, I didn't even really know who he was. And then when I realized who he was, I was like, you didn't even write your own songs. Why do I give a fuck about talking to you? <laughs> right. Cause he was in a band that was notorious, didn't write their own songs. And I was like, you know, you should be a little self-aware of who you're talking to. Right. And mm -hmm. I, he, he start, kept talking and I just took my bag that somebody, you know, my girlfriend had brought me and started repacking and I just left the rehab and went and got high. Now I'm not saying that I would have anyways, but that guy was trying to help me and he actually did the 180 degree opposite of what he was trying to do. 
All he had to say was, hey, my name's whatever, if you ever want to talk or whatever. But he started telling me, first thing he said was how many millions of records he sold. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was like, <laughs> okay. like, oh, oh. Like, oh okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? Ooh, look what I can I, do. <laughs> I was yeah. just like, well, that, that happens with people when they talk about the amount of time they have or how many meetings they still go to. And the idea of universalizing their singular experience and thinking that they have all the answers. I love listening but to he, people But talk. you know that blowhard thing where he also said that thing where I probably spilled more dope than you've ever done. You oh, know, and I was boy. like, mm-hmm. you don't you don't even know me. Like, you know, mm-hmm. like maybe, but why would you say that to somebody who's just gotten out of a psych ward who OD'd two times in one day? What are you trying to accomplish here by telling me how many millions of records you sold and that you spilled build more dope than I've ever done. You, you understand what I'm saying, right? Mm-hmm. It's a bravado. Right. It's a bravado. He, he just, out, he just out, he out successed you and he out bottomed you <laughs> all at once. So that yes, you're yes. like, <laughs> who the I fuck are never, you? you know, like, guy. I'm like, I'm like right down the middle. I've never sold a million records and I haven't, <laughs> haven't really hit bottom, I guess, the way that you can. Just, well, I guess I'm not. Yeah, like exactly. This meeting's <laughs> over. I'll, I got something to do. I got to <laughs> yeah, go somewhere later on. So <laughs> I've got yeah. goals. And so fast forward. So the, the rehab was on Bundy and near Olympic, right? And I go walking down Bunley with my little back, little suitcase thing. And I go to the 7-Eleven. I get a tall Budweiser can. I'm drinking it at the truck, at the bus stop, right? Who pulls up at Dickie Rude, my good buddy, in a convertible Dodge Dart? And he doesn't see me. And so I just like, oh, I was, and it was loud there. And I said, I said, Dickie, Dickie. And then I was standing there. And then I just realized he can't hear me because the traffic's so loud. I just jumped into his car and looked at him and go, God shot. And he, because I knew he was sober, but not sober that long, you know, like a month or something. I was God like, God shot. shot. <laughs> and he goes, oh, my yeah. God, get out of my car. And I go, no, 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 no. God put God you here. That's how it works. Just put us together it, to go to McCarthy yeah, Park. <laughs> yes. If God didn't want this to happen, me, I don't know. Happening. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Oh, my God. I, that's, that's one of the most important parts of the, in the book there where it talks about we may pay for this assumption with all sorts of like ludicrous <laughs> actions, like thinking that we're tapped in and that every, well, I, I was driving around and there was a parking spot right up front. Oh, so yeah, I knew I've God heard, wanted me that. there. <laughs> and it's just, like, but you know what? I don't even, I don't even bother with them anymore i just go good for them if that's the way they want to think if they want to think god decides who wins and loses football games and whether there's a parking spot for them good for them they're happy you know what just keep smiling man ignorance is beautiful for me as long as people are staying sober whatever it takes whatever it takes because it only takes so long of being sober before life gets different enough that it's good enough that we a friend of mine convinced me of that by saying you know, by being logical with me, because I like logic. I don't like hoopla and slogans and whatever. And he said, Bob, okay, I know there was a guy in AA I really didn't like, and I just thought he was such a fraud. And I, fraud, 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 fraudulent, fraudulent, (laughs) misrepresenting his truth. He was misrepresenting his truth. So, and 
a friend of mine, rather than argue with me, he's a good guy. He helps a lot of people, which is what 99% of the people did said, yeah, he's, he's kind of an asshole, but something <laughs> you should look at is why does it bother you so much? A and B imagine if he was loaded, how much worse of an asshole he would be. <laughs> you don't show up at people's houses and they go oh don't let bob in anymore that never ha that hasn't happened to me you know unless i'm trying to make yeah. amends then people go what are you doing here? what do you yeah. need i like i think some people still don't like me coming to their house <laughs> uh, someone may start on that road today based on what we've said tonight who knows it's not no, our but, business right but did it you know, there's another thing that's that, like, I had a, Mike knows, I just had a, a, like, even though I might, my feelings might be hurt, I would never admit that. I would just be double, double down back at you, right? And so when mm -hmm. I see the kids that argue with me, I know that they're probably like me, they're doubling down. Like, you know what I mean? Um, mm -hmm. You know, well, I'm they a kid said to me a couple weeks ago or a month ago, do you think people can stay sober with AA? And I said, absolutely. And he said, well, then why do, why do you recommend that I go to AA? And I go, cause I fucking recommend it to anybody. I don't know. Who fucking cares? Don't go. I don't care. And he's like, well, then, but wait, why do you recommend it? I said, because most people need people. And we live in a really disjointed, disconnected society. And AA is the one place where people are kind of friendly. And you can go hang out and it's free. I mean, I, I, I had a lot of problems with it. I have a lot of problems with the steps, a lot of problems with the program, and some problems with some of the people. But I can't deny, still I can't deny it's that it's, still <laughs> it's transformative. It, it shaped some of my belief systems. And it's free. It's not like rehab. It's not like psychology. Right. It's not like sober companion. It's not like, it's, it's like, you know, you get what you give. You, you put in what you put in, you'll probably receive back. And if you go down and hang out and be cool to people, they'll probably be, most people will probably be cool back to you. But he did, he is one of the kids, his name is Blackhand, I call him. He's one of the kids, because his hand was tattooed black. Uh, <laughs> he, is, he is one of the kids that made me aware of how rude old timers are being to newcomers. He oh, really wow. was. Mm -hmm. Right? This is probably, Elvis was born. This is probably 2012, 2013. I was shocked at some of the things that, that old timers say to newcomers. Like I, I just was well. They're like that guy that came to visit you. He they're wasn't rude. School. He was trying to help. I mean, I'm talking about yeah, like, but but you know, you don't if you uh, don't want to be here, don't be here. Like, who the fuck wants to be there except some angry asshole guy who's telling everybody else don't come here? The big book says it, we meet on a regular basis, so the new person can come and talk about their problem. Yeah, exactly. it doesn't say oh, so new old timers no. can hear what they want to hear. Right, right, <laughs> and when it should, I'm going to change the book. Say if you don't want to be here, don't be here. Like that bothers me. Like nobody really wants to be here who has half a life, right? Right. You, you know what I mean? Can you imagine even even Bill Wilson? Can you imagine him saying that to somebody who says, "Man, I I I really feel like drinking," and him going, "Well, then go do it, loser. Here's five bucks." <laughs>
if you don't want to stop, just get the yeah. fuck out of here. No, the, and you know, it lines up with so many spiritual themes and uh, tenets where we get our relief from getting out of ourselves and helping other people. I got shit for, I got shit for is, my sponsee today that I don't go to enough meetings. And I said, listen, I, got, I live by three tenants. We, li we meet on a regular basis so the new person can come and talk about their problems. We, we wear our, our, our sobriety like a loose-fitting garment. This is a design for living a bridge back to the real world. I don't live in AA. I don't need to be there five days a mm -hmm. week blowing my opinions about everything. I don't. I'll go when some newcomer wants to go. I'll go when somebody asks me to speak. I'll go when, when you know, it's usually at the bequest of other people. Like they'll say, hey, will you go to a meeting with me? I haven't been a long time. And this guy was saying, you know, I really, he, he what he said was, I really need to go back to meetings and I know you don't go anymore. And I said, I go, I went nine 30 the other morning. I fucking go. And so now we made a commitment to go to this meeting in LA next week, next Wednesday or something. And the idea is like, no, I don't have to go to stay sober. I don't care what these other blowhards say. I can stay sober, not going to meetings, but what I can't stay sober uh, without, I'm pretty sure is helping others. Exactly. I don't think I can, I don't Absolutely. think I can stay sober without being there for other people because it just re-regulates my, my narcissism. It re-regulates like my purpose in life and, and left to my own devices. I just get too into myself and my problems and my kids and this and that, and being around somebody who's new just helps me like feel grateful. It makes me, it makes me feel good to help other people. But going into a meeting every Tuesday night to hear the same people talk about how great they are, that irritates the fuck out of me <laughs> and makes me miserable. Right. It makes me miserable. And, and it should. You know, and it's, it's just like now it's not what it was even meant to be. I don't think. You know, there are some people that that works for them and great. Keep doing it. Go knock yourself out. You know, do a four step every six months if that's what you feel you need to do. But that's not what worked for me. I, I go to exactly for that express purpose of I get out of me, I get out of my problems. It's a reset. I get to remember not only that, but it brings me back to where I was because, you know, treatment and recovery are different. Right. You know, I don't confuse the two. I know but there's if you're a difference. In it, and but this so is the thing about what I'm saying these kids are facing. The, the, because they're in sober living, the, there's a portion of the community that's labeling them that they're not really an AA. If you're in an AA meeting, you're right. an AA and no one can tell you you're not and no one can tell you to leave and no one's in charge of it. And that's what I tell all they the talk kids, shit. right? They talk shit. I've heard of them going to places like, I won't say where, but like them going, oh, so if you came here in a van tonight, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, it's just like, how dare you single people out who may be uncomfortable to begin with, who may be at the worst point in their well, you lives. Know what I love? It wasn't a sunny Well, sun the thing I love, which is not in the AA Big Book, it was made up by whoever, and it's just recited everyone. Not to embarrass you, but to get to know you better. If somebody in their first 30... So it, <laughs> right off the bat of the sentence, you're admitting that it's kind of embarrassing to make you stand yeah. up and say how many days you have. I, I just think that's ridiculous. It's not in the Big Book. It's not in the Big Book. Nowhere there does it even talk about how many days you have or months you have or anything ever. Somebody decided that that would make them feel comfortable. And that's yeah, not do, to right? embarrass you. Why is even well, here's the thing. If you, you know, weren't embarrassed, 
And you, you are now. like, hey, <laughs> you're going to be like, am I dumb for not feeling embarrassed? Like, what? What did she say? Not to, not to embarrass it's, you, but to get to know you better. And then no one talks to the person after the meeting. That's the best part of it. No <laughs> that's where I was going with it. That's 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 one of the first things that I was told is when you see somebody you haven't seen there before, introduce yourself and just let them know who you are and say, hey, welcome. You don't know if they're new or new to the meeting or passing through town. But if you see somebody that you don't recognize, introduce yourself. We're supposed to be this like is that. so funny. We're supposed it, to make a human just, connection. I laugh about it and, and sometimes in a bad mood about it. But like I told you guys a couple of weeks ago, somebody, I went to a meeting and somebody said, are you still sober? And I oh was like, my Oh God. my God, are we mm -hmm. really saying that to each other still? I'm 60. <laughs> I said, I'm 61 years old. You're 58 years old. We're not yeah. in fucking eighth grade. <laughs> it's not a smart alecky thing you say. And I said to him, "How's your son?" Yeah. And you just you just saw <laughs> this like because his son has a problem too. And I was just like, I think about him like, oh no, I wasn't saying it to be mean. I was like, let's get down to real shit instead of talking about like you're you go to more meetings than me. Bravo. The standard Bravo. banner. There is a standard yeah. banner that I have with a couple people, and I'd, I'd rather not. Yeah, have just her. like why do you it? Know, it? Why it, do it? So, um, and then let's talk about a friend of mine that passed away. Friend of Mike's too. The great Mark Lanigan passed away uh, day before yesterday. I heard. And uh, yeah, and I had some great fucking times with him, man. I was on tour with him for a year, and. He's just the funniest guy. The one thing people don't know, because he's kind of, he's kind of, I said, you know, you are a little intimidating, Mark. And he goes, that's just my way my face looks. And it was so honest and it was so funny. And then he had the Seattle sense of humor where you don't know whether he's joking or not, but you laugh and then. And he never laughs. He never laughs. laughs. So, yeah, like, don't know I don't he know if that was a joke or that's like, oh, yeah, the yeah. truth or what. <laughs> and then uh, uh, one time, because he's the reason why Kurt Cobain did In the Pines. I don't know if you know that or not, Chuck, but Mark did it in 19, I, I, I 1991. It, yeah. He did it on his first solo record. And Kurt plays guitar and sings on it or whatever. I get it. And then later on, when unplugged like kurt's looking for material and he does vaselines and he does a bunch of bands he likes meat puppets and he that's a tribute to mark right yeah you know mm. and then kurt dies right afterwards so then it becomes immortalized as this kurt cobain song so so mark was doing a solo tour. He'd done a record called bubblegum or something i was talking to him and i said i said you know i know you probably don't want to hear it but like why don't you do in the pines and he looked at me with that Mark Lanigan face and he just goes, you know, I was just starting to like you. And of course, you know me, I don't back down. I'm like, dude, it's your song. It's not his song. And he goes, it's, <laughs> it's a lead belly song. Yeah, it's a lead belly song. <laughs> but yeah. he never, he, he, you know, he would never do it because of the, you know the Kurt kind of ownership of it because yeah, Kurt Kurt, Kurt crowned that song. He made it him and, didn't he? with with what and, show? Uh, yeah, in one show. But uh, so yeah. so I said no, but I mean it, it really is your song. And he said ah, but I just have too many feelings about that song. 
how about that? Mm-hmm. Honesty, truthfulness. I have too many mm-hmm. feelings about that song. Right? It may, you know, because it fucked with him up to do that song. You think of Kurt and you think of recording it or whatever he thought about. He was just a beautiful guy. He was a misunderstood guy. Um, and, and he and I were sober on this tour in two, 99, 2000. And, you know, I, I, I would say I'm a little, I'm a little more amiable. <laughs> so, so, so I would make sure, cause he only sang like three songs and he'd walk off stage and he'd be there for like five songs and he'd walk back out and sing songs. And, um, I made sure just every night to kind of be around for if he wanted to talk most nights, he didn't want to talk. We would just stand there and smoke cigarettes and, um, but just a really fucking good guy. Right. Mm-hmm. Beautiful guy. And, mm-hmm. and it's so sad. And, but he outlived a lot of the other people. That's for fucking sure. Like I started thinking yeah. about Seattle in general, like literally Eddie Vedder's the last man standing. And talk about how yeah. COVID affected his, his whole. Oh yeah. Lanigan got COVID like four months ago and he got it really bad. And so I think that was somewhat of a contributor to whatever happened, but, but it's just so sad. But when you think about like all the, I hate to say it, all the LA singers, but Darby crash and tomato are still alive. Alice bags alive. Exine and John are alive. <laughs> they, Phil Alvin's alive. Um, yeah. you know, obviously Anthony uh, Perry, uh, <laughs> Scott Weiland's not alive. So we lost one LA singer, but like, when you look at Seattle, it's mm. just, I don't know what it is. You're talking about every singer from up there, starting with mother love bone to Kurt, yeah, mother Andrew, love bone, Kurt, Andrew, Wood, Andrew, Andrew Wood, Wood, Kurt, um, Lane, Chris Cornell. And now Lanigan, the Mark Arm's still alive, and Eddie are still alive. It's kind of crazy, man. Well, think but, about this for a second, Bob. How, how, like, you know, Jeffrey drank himself to death, right? Like, how many artists do you know? Not very many that literally, you know, just drank themselves to death. You know what I mean? Like, he didn't. He top didn't Jimmy, top, top, top Jimmy. Jimmy. Okay, top so Jimmy, top Jimmy, Jimmy top and and and, Jay, and Jeffrey. Drank themselves to death. That's it. They drank so much that they died. Right. Yeah, that's crazy. But I, I think Lanigan got unhealthy from COVID. We'll, we'll see what happens. But it's just so sad. And such a. But what I, what I wanted not people old to understand, I, and I told a bunch of friends this that either knew him just as fans or whatever. Guy was really funny and really genuine. Right. Um, if, if I asked him, Hey, would you talk to this kid? He would. Right. Yeah. He was very, mm-hmm. it was a very of service. Like he didn't talk much. Yeah, That would be an improvement on most AHA. Yeah. I was saying he was a listen. good listener. <laughs> right. There there he wasn't bragging about how many meetings he went to. So it's just sad. I, I, you know, it's just sad. It's just, it's just so fucked up. And I, I immediately thought of the funny things that he said. It didn't, I didn't get sad. Like I've cried when certain people have died, but, but I didn't really cry. It just felt like, ah, oh God. And then I immediately started thinking about how misunderstood he was. He was so funny, so smart, so compassionate and so truthful yes. and so truthful. 
Like, and I'll. Isn't that a way you want to be remembered, though, as being sincere? And then when people think about you, they think about the times you helped them, you made them smile, or you made their day a little better. Isn't that the kind yeah, of the but, goal? Yeah, but you That's had to, have, you for, had to have interacted with him as a as a public yeah. figure. I think people thought he was spooky and dark, and you know what I mean. Like he read. <laughs> I like the fact that he that he wanted to fight Liam uh, Gallagher. Oh, yeah, he would have kicked his ass. <laughs> That's what he said. He would have kicked his ass. Lanigan was not fucking around. Um, and he also, he quit music for five years and worked as a carpenter in Pasadena. And like this great artist, like I, I always thought of him not like of the grunge era because I don't know. Like I never thought of Screaming Trees that way. Screaming Trees, like Screaming Trees, transcended people forget, that. was an SST band, Mike. I don't know if you remember that. They yeah, had two albums on SST. So Lanigan was more this punk rocker. He idolized Jeffrey Lee Pierce. He loved the Gun Club, um, but he was more like he was more like a Leonard Cohen of punk. That, rock, that's know? what he became, or like Nick Nick Cave, Leonard Cohen. Exactly. That's what he he became, and and just a I don't know, just like they don't make people like that that are so yeah. mis, I would say misunderstood. Like like I can say some of those guys. You know, I can think of one in particular really were what you thought they were. They were like full on junkie, full on criminal, full on just kind of crazy guy. One of the five up there. But, you know, Chris Cornell was like kind of a sweet, innocent kind of guy. And then that voice would come out of him. I just like it just hit me like how sad the whole Seattle music thing was. Like, think about the sadness of it all. Well, at least the music was honest because it, it, it showed that. The music that. is about you know sadness. I mean? The music was honest and it was who they were. And maybe that's what, that was the beginning of the, the turn is that America understood that and felt it in, in 89, 90, 91. And that's why I'm saying what's I mean, so funny is, so there was all this genuine music that came out of Seattle that, that just connected with millions of kids across the globe, not just in America. It just was angry and it was brutally honest. And like, I just always think of Kurt vulnerable and, too, and honest and vulnerability and all this. And um, it just swept across the globe. And the only modern things I can think of that are relative to that are Kanye last night saying, do I look happy? Do I look happy to you? <laughs> Do I look I'm going to have to find that. I mean, that's the same as here we are, entertain us. That's yeah. the same as look me in the eyes and tell me I'm satisfied because I'm so unsatisfied. It's the same thing as I can't get no satisfaction. But there's no songs like that being written in the rock genre anymore. It's weird. Yeah. Like it's coming from a rapper who's like, more famous than the Super Bowl. <laughs> or, you know, know, and also yeah. down to even put it farther back in history, like Lead Belly doing Gallows Pole, you know, like singing a song about, you know, being uh, the, the Gallows Pole and watching people being hung and being led down to, you know, or see that my grave is kept clean, you know, the same kind of darkness, you know. Well, the, but the songs I'm equating are very confrontational. I'm fucking, I'm angry. Right. And I'm telling you, I'm fucking angry. That's what punk rock basically is. That's what black flag mm -hmm. is. That's what the circle jerks are. That's what, what the clash is. That's what the sex pistols are. I'm 
fucking angry. And I'm telling you directly to your face the truth of me. Where is that in music anymore? I always couldn't figure out how anybody could write a happy song living up in Seattle because it's like <laughs> it's, it's it's like gloomy. Literally ten months out of the year, you're in gloom and rain, and and you know how can you? Have- you, know, and you know when when people are busy uh, chasing fads, when being famous is more important than having substance, style over substance, and all that stuff. That's just the way the media is tilted music. I'm sure there's some kid in Nebraska that's writing songs like that. I think that I think it's not I affected think, by the current. I think culture. a guy that's on Sub Pop actually, Father John Misty, is writing songs oh, yeah, that matter. Exactly, but they, he's writing songs that matter. But mm-hmm. but is it breaking through like the grunge movement or the LA punk rock scene? Is it? getting through like i want to be a part of like helping shit get through to the people and I, and you and i check the songs make it happen but we're on the front lines of educating young people about music because i ask them all the time what, what kind of music you like and most times they say everything and i say that's impossible and they say well mm-hmm. everything but country <laughs> like what does that mean well, or but most times yeah most it, times but, they say hip-hop i'm into hip-hop yeah, it. You know, if you listen on uh, Amazon Music or whatever, and you listen, I, I do this thing where I'll listen to the top forty oh, things God. every once in a while Can just you to make see it what it is. It? Uh. Sometimes, sometimes I can't believe that it's actually different artists. You know, because the, the well, it, you know, it's 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 talked and it's auto tuned to the extreme, and it's you know, it's the same kind of like they sound like they bought their beats at the same place. You know, so it's like it, and it's. Just seems so. Uh, yeah, maybe it's just fake. I think. I think we. Were, you know. I think everybody that was attracted to punk rock was because of the the rawness, the realness, the unpolished side of it. You know, where it was just like this is what you were talking about. You know, Joe's idea of you know three chords and the truth, or you know Lou Reed saying two chords is enough, three is jazz. You know, and it's just like the idea that it could be simple and it could be honest and it could have feeling. And I think a lot of that feeling is just. It's just not there. I try. I keep well, wanting to be able to connect to it just because I don't want to. I don't want to say I don't like it just because. Well, you know what? I think you know it's what I mean? important to listen to the pioneers of that thing, like like Hank Williams and all that early stuff and Willie Nelson, early Willie Nelson and um, and the, like the Highwaymen. Bob and I have talked about the Highwaymen before. It's amazing. Yeah. The early pioneers of that stuff did not. Um, they probably would have hated today's country, you know? Oh, for sure. For well, sure. There's, it's, it's a lot it's different. different yeah. you know, but, it's, but I mean, of course it's I, changed, I, you know, but what we're talking about generally is I don't blame the musicians or the producers or the artists or the record companies or the concert companies, or I don't blame any of them. It's the audience and the audience are the children of people raised on sex pistols, class, <clears throat> chili peppers, you know, Led Zeppelin. Right. So, so how yeah, there's is, going to be a backlash it, to it, right? I'm hoping, but is it is this monetized system of music distribution like Spotify and and the streaming? Is it possible for a revolution within within it? You know, getting back to my man Kanye, you're not going to be able <laughs> to listen to his record on streaming platforms. He's not going to release it to them. He wants his audience to buy it. I have it. I'm going to buy it, but it's pretty expensive. $199 to buy this streaming thing that is 
his. I'll, I'll send it to you, Mike. And yeah, it's kind of elitist. So that shows like he's kind of disconnected from what people people don't people want to pay four ninety nine or seven ninety nine a month for all music, and they're going to pay one hundred ninety nine dollars yeah. for his music. Right, I think he's got sense. a math equation a little off. There. I think he's got a little awakening coming. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 he. Well, you don't need to sell that many. Genius, <laughs> he, he's a genius, and he's making the point: you can't have a revolution within the institution. It has to be outside of it, right? Yeah. And, and it, it always has come from outside, hasn't it? Well, but how is the music? It's, it's always how been outsiders going to get out, out to the people that that would connect with this revolution. It's really it's it's exciting to think is what's going to happen in music in the next five years. I'll give you an example because I don't think the Rolling Stones are going to be around in five years. I don't think Paul McCartney is going to be around in five years. I don't think Fleetwood Mac's going to be around in five years. I don't think the Eagles are going to be around in five years, not because they pass away or anything. I just don't think at 85 years old, you go play 20. I, I don't think. <laughs> Thank God the Eagles aren't going to be around in five years. Thank God. <laughs> Nobody thought you could play rock and roll in your sixties. Nobody thought you could play it in your forties. Oh 40s. no. And their thirties. Thirties yeah, yeah. and forties. So why would you go see and an we old can, man? I just yeah. named them all. It's Eagles, Sleeping Mac, the Rolling Stones, the Who, Bob Dylan, uh, Neil Young, uh, Roger Waters, Pink Floyd. They're in their late. Well, their audiences their, are old in too. Mid to late seventies, right? And it and it takes a lot. Like I've said, it takes a lot for me to get up and get Sid to school and go to work and come home. And I'm sixty one. What does it take <laughs> to run around stage all night for an hour and a half, and then go back to a hotel room and then get on a plane and then go to the next town and do it again and play like the Rolling Stones? I think played you know twenty two shows or whatever. Like, can you, okay, they've proven you can do that at 78, right? Because I've seen Paul McCartney and he was great. I've seen the Stones, they were all right. I've seen Dylan, you never know what the hell's going on, <laughs> right? <laughs> at, at it's always fascinating. But I think Dylan's turned 80. So can they play at 85 in 2028? Can we expect these same bands to be playing or... Is that going to go away? And then what happens to the concert industry? What happens? Who who replaces those elders? It's obviously Foo Fighters, Chili Peppers, um, you know, Rage Against the Machine, uh, Pearl Jam. It's obviously them, right? But until the old guard go away, and that new guard, the new dig the new breed of the of the later generation bands that are iconic that are, could play until they're 80 years old. It's not until then that the new breed can come up and get into the space of the chili peppers and Pearl Jam are in, right? It's in the competitive nature of <coughs> songwriting and albums coming out. Cause I mean, let's face it. When's the last time a who album came out? Anybody know? Uh. I don't know, but do they, do they need an album? No, but, but a lot of these bands still make albums to, to act like they're. And it's kind of sad sometimes relevant. though. <laughs> you know, it's like, really, are you as angry? Or are you as relevant? Have you become fat, happy? And what are you going to write about? Sitting, watching TV and being comfortable or walking the dog, right. you know, that, you, um, you know, you can't but, write the but, blues. But anyways, the it's an scene. exciting time in music to see once everything gets to the next generation, what yeah. happens to this generation? But I'm really excited. The Beatles, to see it. the Beatles were the 50s, 
right? The Beatles and the Stones were the, were the 50s. They were young in the 50s. The 60s. 60s, nobody wants to be associated with the 60s anymore. There's no oh, bands that are from the 60s that are still. Grateful, Grateful Dead? They're all dead. <laughs> no, they're not. They just, no, they're, they're on tour they're, right now, man. I know, but the key guy, the key man is dead. Okay, so get over it. That that was the guy that made it happen. Yeah, Jerry but that's Garcia. been for 20 years. All right, so what other band in the 60s was young in the 60s? That was, I mean, you know, there is none, really. But I, I always associate the So Beatles then you've got the, the 70s. Stones. What was the 70s? What young bands in the 70s? A lot were? of the 70s bands have died. Bowie, um, Genesis. Uh, yes, um, you know, that next generation after the original generation, they, they didn't fare too well mortality wise. I mean, I think, right, so you've got two generations there. Now we're looking at the eighties. Yeah. Then, well, the eighties is when it begins Depeche Mode, Chili Peppers, um, the iconic fall? bands. You mean to cure, tell me we're going to have to listen to the fall no, the, until we're like eighty? Cure, the Cure is still the Cure. The Cure is <laughs> oh still God. a huge band. They are huge. Morrissey's going to be eighty years old still playing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but they have to get. If they he have can, to get if into he can keep singing, so sure. that the new breed can start having the playground to themselves. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, right. And right. Fight it out, right? right? I mean. I guess Rancid's one of those bands. Sure. Right? Green. Rancid's Green a big Day. Drum and they're good. No. Green Day's one so, of those things. So I always think of Weezer, Green Day, Rancid, like a few years behind Pearl Jam Chili Peppers, right? There's a, there's a yeah, few years behind. That's where that's where Noodles is and his people Offspring, came in. Yeah. And so, so but there's got to be new bands right now. And we all got to encourage and support them. You'll never guess who I was talking to about it today is that's obsessed with like helping new artists, helping new bands. Um, this friend of mine. And I was like, I said, you know, via text, like, why do you care so much? And he goes, because everything's so fucking boring. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and that, you know what I mean? Yeah. If you're constantly curious and you're constantly wanting to shake shit up and you're mad for living, and you're mad for not, you know, everything. And you want to talk and listen at the same time, all that stuff, the Jack Kerouac stuff. This yeah. is really fucking boring. You know what I mean? Let's get mm -hmm. on with it. Let's fucking get on with it. Next. You know what yeah. I mean? And that, yeah, and and that is exciting that, you know, our buddy Josh Klinghoffer and Eddie, Eddie Vedder formed a band that's out playing tonight. That Mike's going to go see on Friday. I'm, I'm excited. Gonna go Friday, you're going to go Sunday. I watch every time they play a show. They play New York, Chicago. Every time they play a show, the next morning on YouTube, you can watch it. And I, oh, I wow. you know, and I watch, I watched last night. They did keep on rocking in the free world. And Chad Smith, who's the drummer, played guitar, and Josh played drums. Oh my god, How crazy! That's awesome. Like that, <laughs> that don't that don't happen in stadium rock bands. That's great, man. <laughs> so Friday, I'm taking my daughter, my middle daughter, on. We're gonna go on a date. We're gonna go to uh, a, one of Wiley's favorite restaurants, Bossa Nova, in downtown, and. Um, and then we're going to go over to the uh, to the Earthlings and uh, thank you, our great uh, friend Mark Smith Smitty, for getting us all in. 
our champion. Oh, he, he was, he was so cool. And it happened like yep. that. And I, you know what I, I told him, I go, I felt like someone just introduced me to their dealer <laughs> because he's been one of those guys like that's been behind the scenes. Like it's here, give me your money and I'll go talk to him. I'll be right yeah. back. And I go, and I go, Hey, is I, I don't know what's being offered. Is it cool if I bring my wife and kid? And he said, absolutely. And he even offered up another thing that, that was just like, yeah, so he's cool. The greatest, just man. Like, he is just, I can't say, enough nice things about people that go out of their way because in this world very few people go out of their way to well, accommodate other Bob people. Bob and I were talking about Smitty today. He's just so positive and so just get things done and bam boom it happens like that and he just laughs about it and laughs at every situation. And, and he could be a be dick. Chaos. He could be he could be a total dick if he wanted to and people would still have to be nice to him and he's not. That's right. why and where like. he comes from, I mean, you know, man, we all know Smitty's, you know, history and stuff and I think all the people that work with him know his history and stuff. Smitty was no joke junkie back in the day, man. And you know, he is one grateful human being, man, for where he's at. It shows. It shows. He's He's spreading the message right, the way right. we're You're supposed to. Make him sick to his stomach. He all listens right. to every podcast. He doesn't like. Well, then we we'll cut, cut out all that nice stuff. Hey, well, we never talk about him enough. That's what I say. <laughs> well, no, but I'll tell, I'll tell you, he, he he is those things, but I don't like hearing that. Uh, right. So he texted me. <laughs> oh, so he are you, Bob? Me, Do you want tickets to Friday night? And I was so busy and I thought I'd text him back. No, I can't go. And then I realized I didn't because then the next day he texted me like, what's up? Do you want, you know, just if you want to go, text me at the email thing. And I realized I hadn't texted him. I can't go. So I said, oh, no, I can't go. And he goes, do you want to go to San Diego? And I was like, oh, yeah, I'd go down there um, because I can't go on Friday. So because I have to work. So. Sunday, I'm going to the last show of the tour in El Cajon, California. I've never been there. Yeah. Looking forward to seeing what it's El Cajon it. looks like. It is an hour and 32 minutes from my house. Guess what? I live in LA County. So I did the Google thing because I'm obsessed with traffic. I Googled how long it takes to get to the YouTube theater. An hour and three minutes. It is only, are you listening to me, Chuck? It is only 29 <laughs> yes. minutes more to go to fucking San Diego <laughs> than to go to the fucking YouTube theater at the, in Inglewood. So what does El Cajon mean? Does El Cajon mean like, you know, ball or something? Your yeah, it's a, it's a ball, the hard balls. It's so Chuck, it's they probably like got, the pic city they got named, pictures of you down there. The, the, the city is named The Ball? I'm going to post a picture. Le Balls. Le Balls. Le Balls. No, but how crazy is that? I live, it's easier for me. I live probably 30 miles from SoFi. It's easier for me to get to San Diego than it is to get 30 miles in Los Angeles. I mean, that, there's just too many people here. You know, all the people <laughs> that don't like uh, each other. So, and so I got I to gotta, I gotta surefire away, Chuck, to reduce traffic. So all the conservatives that hate California because it's so fucking liberal, just move somewhere else. All the liberals <laughs> that hate all the conservatives that control the government and, you know, and that, that are, you know, they hate uh, Sacramento and they hate the government, move somewhere else. And so if we just got rid of those two fringes of hateful people that don't like anybody, 
we'd have more peaceable, more peaceable town, and the traffic would be lighter. Hey, hey, wait a minute. Is this because? Is this because I told you I wanted to move to Oklahoma? Is this what yeah. you're getting at? I, I, guess, I don't think Mike should move. Start I, with you know Mike I don't think Mike should move to Oklahoma. It's too far away. We'll never see him again, and that'll be sad. Arizona is just as good, and it's fucking five hours away. Not a single fucking tree in Arizona, I don't think. Yeah, there is Flagstaff. You ever been there? It's a fucking forest. Yeah, but that's up in the north part. You, you're talking oh, about. Wow. You're talking about <laughs> moving down to the other part where all the rocks are. <laughs> no, that's where. No, I was saying I want to move to Tucson because because Chrissy loves it there, and she worked there and lived there for years, and she has friends there. So wherever. I, See, you're moving. Okay, Chuck, let's just edit out the last 20 because we got to talk for 20 minutes about this. So, <laughs> so Chuck. You got to, I thought you had to put kids no, to bed. I, I think Chrissy did it. So, oh, uh, goodness, great. So, I think, I think Sid came to say goodnight. But, anyways, so, so follow my logic with this. You go, if you're going to go somewhere, you have, uh, is she in bed? Is, is Sydney in bed? Okay. She's asleep. Rest assured, I'm a great father. <laughs> Good work. Good work. Except for that so, trip in the RV in the snow and the icy. So road. listen. So listen. So so my idea is you got to go somewhere where you know at least a few people, right? Because I don't trust myself isolating, being depressed. Like you got to know at least a few people. And Chrissy knows a lot of people in Tucson, and I know one guy. Two, two guys. I know actually. what you're getting at. I know Howie Gelb and his uh, uh, and the guy that books the Congress. So I know two people. And what's coming, Tucson. Chuck, is that I Bob said he's moving to Oklahoma where he doesn't know anybody, <laughs> and he thinks that's a good thing. Chuck, he says, "Who do you know in Oklahoma?" And I said, "Nobody." That's the point. Nobody. I don't know anybody in Oklahoma. Yeah, but th th that's when that's when you. you you end up sitting on no, a rock chair. I'm the friendliest the, guy the in the world. Porch. I'll go meet. I'm gonna go meet tractor drivers, and I'll I'll meet anybody, man. I'll meet. I'll go to Indian okay. powwows. I'll do all kinds of crap. I'll meet people. Why at your age are you going to another part of the United States to burden yourself to be because to these people that have to now they have to. You were just talking you? about there's too many people here. You <laughs> have no understanding. Now they of have to befriend like, you. You know what no, you just no. said, Mike Martin. I I don't want him to move because I'd miss him. And then you said, "Don't burden those people with <laughs> your like, existence." I'm telling you, you bastard. No, I mean, people like, here. There's too many people. I'm assuming I want he's. Wait, I'm assuming you're not going to be befriending like 20 year old kids that are working at McDonald's. So you're going to go to a 12 step meeting and you're going to like try to be best friends with some poor old 60 year old guy that's got his own problems. No. <laughs> There's got to be people that are that are doing cool shit out in other parts of the country. Man. This is a great He's going to bumfuck. Tell him the town you're going to, Mike. It's bumfuck. It's called bumfuck Oklahoma. No, tell him the not. town. <laughs> yes, it is. No, it's pronounced boom <laughs> fluke. fluke. <laughs> it's like, what's the name of the town? What's the name of the Stratford. Town. I'm looking around Stratford, Oklahoma. There's nothing there. It's literally how far there. is it from a uh um a, 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 a major Tulsa's two hours away. Tulsa's totally hip and fun. Okay, yeah. Why not? Then why not work move around this? There's like weird rural places outskirts around. Of Tulsa. I'm, a Chickasaw, I'm yeah. Chickasaw Indian, so if I live on the Chickasaw Nation, I connect a little bit more with my Chickasaw uh, family. There you go. Well, that's a good reason.
Do you know Jonas. where I have a lot of? Yeah. I have a lot of ancestors in Scotland, Ireland. I'm sure yeah. I can't go there and knock on the door and say, "Hey, I'm little Bobby Forrest from California." Bob, you're like, a lord in Scotland. You I own have a lord. property. In. I am a lord in, 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 in Chuck. Do you Scotland. remember that when I paid the two hundred? Yes, bucks? I do. <laughs> or Bobby, you know what? Lord. Mike Mart's a great friend. I have another friend. Ron points it out all the time. You're a lord, like because and most everyone I told that, including my own wife, forgets it. It's on the wall in the living room. No one, the kids <laughs> don't care. Nobody cares. Do I have to lord. keep telling people but I'm a lord? Yeah. No, do I have to keep pointing at the wall? Uh, excuse me. Who are you talking to, Lord Forrest? <laughs> <laughs> Lord, um, <laughs> you need to have a shirt made and have it put on your card. So I think you should put it on everything. Lord. I think you should have packages delivered to Lord, Lord. Forrest. We need to sign <laughs> off now order. for sure. <laughs> this is getting insane. Mike cannot move to Oklahoma. You can move to Arizona. I'm in charge. You can move to Arizona. You can move to Nevada. I hope, I hope you, you can move. I'm in charge. Why not just move to charge. like Ludlow? Like Ludlow's got cheap houses. Uh, I don't know because Chickasaw. Uh, yeah. yeah, I don't. I don't know this. because Chickasaw. Do the, do the like how you much have percentage a are Chickasaw, you? Bob? Your partner is a Chickasaw Indian. Uh, I believe that it, Paul is a is Chickasaw Indian. Oh right, right, right. Yeah. No, no he's he's just wife. a friend. All right, I gotta go. Okay, well, we'll tell the truth. Right. <laughs> Good night, guys. See you Friday. Nice talking to you all. Good Thank talking you. to you. Bye bye. Excellent. Way okay, better bye -bye. than that one recording Good night, yesterday. Fellas. Bye, bye. See you later. You know what? Save out and put it out under the grump grumpy yeah. pants grumpy edition pants sometime. Edition, yeah. Just go. Only no, you know what you should do? do? Put the one that you didn't want to release from last night out with with Chuck's balls all swollen and uh, us yeah. drooling out. That would put be a it on combination. As the as the cover of the <laughs> podcast. Like <laughs> <laughs> All right. See you guys later. Hi, <laughs> right, bye bye. bye. It's over, everybody. <laughs> bye bye. See you, Chuck. <laughs>